What is up, Law Nation? You're now tuning in to the Passive Income Attorney Podcast. As always, I hope you're having a great week. When you have a moment, be sure to go to intelligentpassiveinvestor.com and get the cash flow calculator for free while you still can. It will show you how to start buying back your time piece by piece. Okay, so you decided to take the leap of faith. I've finally convinced you to invest in real estate. Where do you start? HGTV flip, Airbnb, passively, actively. Where does this all begin? Today, you'll find out how to make that big decision. And we'll also show you how investing in real estate will not only change your life for the better, but also the lives of the residents of those properties. Our guest of honor today is none other than Matt Faircloth, a friend and business partner of mine and the president and founder of DeRosa Capital. And he's the best-selling author of the book, Raising Private Capital, published by Bigger Pockets. All right, guys, let's go. This is the Passive Income Attorney Podcast, where you'll discover the secrets and strategies of the ultra-wealthy on how they build streams of passive income to give them the freedom we all want. Attorney Seth Bradley will help you end the cycle of trading your time for money so you can make money while you sleep. Start living the good life on your own terms. Now, here's your host, Seth Bradley. Matt Faircloth, welcome to the show, brother. Thank you. Thank you, Seth. It's such an honor to be here. I appreciate that. Yeah, man. Really happy to have you on. You know, we've crossed paths quite a few times and working on some deals together. Um, so mm -hmm. I'm really excited to have you on today. Absolutely. Thank you. Good to be here. Yeah. All right, man. Well, let's just jump right in. So, you know, what's your story? Uh, just feel free to brag a little bit. Take it back as far oh, as you want. Hey. I'm pretty, I'm pretty modest. Uh, so uh, we're a full-time real estate operator. We've been uh, in operations for eight, 15 years. I'm going to say 18, aging myself. No, we've been, we've been full-time real estate investors for 15 years, seen a lot, seen market cycles up and down um, and, uh, you know, kind of rode the tiger for a while there and, and got into multifamily um, about nine years ago. Before that, we were into a lot of single families and a lot of rentals. We, we own an office complex that we bought about 12 years ago. Um, we've been, um, you know, just really into residential housing aside from the office complex has really been what we've done, whether that's through fix and flip models or single family homes. We've done some lease to own with tenants. Um, we own some mixed use buildings. I still view that to be residential really. Um, and that, so that's, uh, that's really us. I quit my job in 2005 to invest full time. And, uh, that's been, uh, you know, the direct that that's like kind of been the, the full steam ahead direction we've been. And I also, I will say that my wife is my partner as well. So I've done a lot in investing, uh, with my spouse, which is, uh, you know, not, I think a lot of real estate investors, either their spouse ends up being their partner or ends up being their best cheerleader. And those that I find are successful in real estate, um, you know, have spouses that are full supportive of what they're doing, you know, yeah. and fully enrolled in what they're doing too. So, yeah, that's really cool, man. I mean, how, how's that gone? Has that been a smooth process? Was that the the thing from the beginning was I, I want to work with my wife on, on these projects mm -hmm. and bring her into the business? I mean, not, it has, it can, it, it's not, I mean, my wife and I fight like badgers sometimes, you know, but I mean, we're, <laughs> uh, we're great. We, we love each other and we, but we, that's just our personalities. We just kind of like, you know, uh, knock it out and drag it out and then hug it out kind of thing, yeah. you know? Um, so we, uh, we had all, we, we read rich dad, poor dad together. We played cash flow together in like the early two thousands before I quit my job and before we got married. Um, and that, so we've always been business partners and that's okay because that means that we kind of went to go, we wanted to go in the same direction 
as a married couple, right? Like we wanted financial freedom. We wanted the time freedom that real estate investing can provide. Um, we wanted to lead a big life, right? And so we both wanted the results that real estate investing could yield. And so um, intentionally, yeah, in the beginning, we did a lot of the same, a lot of the work together because it's what we wanted. Now she's now gone off into her own direction with the real estate invest her community and the real estate invest her podcast. Um, that's been her own vehicle and her own journey, um, which has been incredible and inspiring to witness her do that. So we're actually working less and less together um, because she's got her own road that she's walking and everything like that. But we still meet weekly and still talk about deals, um, still run stuff by each other and all that. But we, we're kind of more support and board members for each other than we are directly working with each other. But we did that for years. Yeah. Yeah. That's a really interesting dynamic. I mean, if, I think if you can run a business together and you're going to stay together, right? I mean, we, I have a gym that I run with my wife. Um, she's kind of the main operator, but you know, yeah. opening through COVID and trying to stay open during COVID and all that was a pretty uh, daunting task. So, you know, you mm -hmm. butt heads a little bit, but you work it out and, and you're better for it in the end. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. But I mean, and it's okay. First of all, it's okay to butt heads. You know, if you, if, if somebody's listening and you and your spouse get along all the time, you know, like you just not being authentic <laughs> enough with each other, you know, like you're hiding out. Yeah. Um, and so I also find that having a business with your spouse really like it links you at the hip, man. I mean, you're like partners at that point point, right. and you, you're not going to become that spouse that just comes home and just sits over dinner where it's like, how was your day, honey? Fine. How was your day, <laughs> honey? I'm okay. And you just become distant and, and you really become just roommates more than anything else. I mean, like having a partner with your spouse is like freaking, you become Starsky and Hutch, man. You just like become attached at the hip and you're like going to tackle life together. And it, it creates a bond uh, in, in working with your, in, in, in your marriage that it becomes unbreakable and yeah, it's bumpy. Yeah. It sucks sometimes. Yeah. Like you fight, but so what man you're supposed you, you know, you're at the end of the day, you're really engaged in life together and, and like committed to your financial freedom together. You yeah. know, it's almost like you had another baby and that baby's the business. <laughs> it is. We have two, we have two kids too, but for the longest time, the business was our baby. We used to say that like the business yeah. is our baby, it's right. Baby, you know? Um, right. and now, now I got three kids you know i got two kids in a business you know <laughs> yeah, yeah so you were an engineer at some yeah. point right that was the w2 mm -hmm. that's yeah. awesome yeah, was a, yeah i worked for ingersoll rand uh went to, went to virginia tech I, it's funny i find that a lot of real estate investors are recovering engineers you know i've seen that too uh, yeah I, I can name probably seven or eight of them off the top of my head that have a degree in engineering that got into real estate investing. I don't know why that is. I, I, I can't put a pin on that. It's probably got to do with personality styles or whatever, but um, I was an engineer for work for Ingersoll Rand selling their compressed air machinery um, on a traveling sales route for about seven years. It did well with it, but it wasn't my passion. And I kind of felt like I was hitting the glass ceiling um, in my, in my early 20, my mid twenties, I was already starting to feel the, the top of the frame where I was going. And, and, and I knew that if I had kept going down that road, I would get less and less ownership of my time. Yeah. Um, and maybe a little more money, but less and less of my time um, and, and more and more, you know, working for the man. So. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. And on the show, we always like to talk about that particular inflection point. I mean, mm -hmm. you know, at what point in your life and in your career did you have that aha moment and you were like, okay, I've, I've got to figure out what else I can do. And then obviously you found real estate. I don't know if that was the first step in that journey or what, but maybe walk us through that. 
No, I'll give you the aha moment. I mean, it was not reading Rich Dad Poor Dad. Reading Rich Dad Poor Dad just opened me up to another vehicle um, and going to local RIAs and playing cash flow and stuff like that. That all like, okay, cool. This is good. This is good. Um, the aha moment was um, at, at one point, my, I, uh, I, I had a few dollars put together and in, in your mid twenties, it wasn't a ton. It was like five grand, but in your twenties, that's like a mountain of money. Right. <laughs> um, and so, uh, I had enough to limp in to buy oh, and the lease was ending in the house that I was in. So I had five grand set aside. And so I'm like, I'm, you know, I'm going to do, I'm going to buy a house and live in this house. And so I bought a, I limped into a deal, like, like literally went all in on a 3% down FHA, bought a house for 150K, um, little townhome, uh, three bedroom, one and a half bath. And uh, I, my mortgage payment was 940 bucks a month. And my two roommates in the house that I used to live in that I was leasing were like, well, where are we, where are we gonna go? I'm like, well, you should come with me. And so they moved into my house and just, we just stumbled into this thing. And they decided, okay, well, we're paying, 600 bucks a month at the other, to the other landlord, we'll pay you $500 a month. And I said, great. So they paid me each paid me 500 bucks a month, but my mortgage was 940. Right. So I was making 60 bucks a month and living there for free, making like uh, a, you know, like a, a high five figure, almost six figure salary in my mid twenties. Um, and I was like, Hey, I am making all this money now on my salary and I don't have any living expenses anymore. This is pretty cool. You know? And so in two years, I paid off like 30 grand worth of student loan debt, back credit cards, um, completely got myself bad debt free uh, in about two years, um, just, just through adjusting my living situation. That was my aha moment. I was like, holy crap, man, this is pretty cool. The, 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 it, was, it was a house hack, as they call, um, yep. you know, as we call it a bigger pockets, but we didn't call it that back then. We just called it having roommates, you know? <laughs> so, um, <laughs> Right. So uh, it was fun. And I, I had lived with my buddies, you know, and we'd go out for beers on the weekends and stuff like that. But these guys I was going out for beers with were now helping me, you know, they were paying my living expenses, which was amazing. Um, so that was the aha. And, and I recommend that to anybody that's listening to this, that's in their early to mid twenties or doesn't own any real estate yet that wants to get into investing house hack, do that first, because that will get you a long ways towards being financially free. Uh, sooner than you think it will. So, yeah, I did the same thing. My first house was a house hack. I bought a duplex that I lived in half and rented yeah. out the other half. I mean, it's, it's so easy to get in on that because you just have to pay that three or 5% down. You get in for yeah. so cheap and eventually it turns into a great rental. I still have that property. Yeah, that's great. That's the only regret I have is that my wife and I, when we got married, and I, I kept that house and put somebody in my bedroom you know, when I moved right. out and I, I held it for a couple of years um, myself. And then when my wife and I got married and moved, the only regret I have is that we didn't move into a duplex uh, or a triplex or a quad, you know, and just do it again. We wanted yeah. to have our own home and our own this and our own that and everything like that. So um, we, we should have kept it going because she was on, she was a gamer, but um, we just couldn't find any small multis. We should have just looked harder. You know, yeah. we didn't find any small multis that met our criteria in that, but that's, that's kind of a cop-out. We probably should have kept looking. So, yeah. Yeah. As long as you can keep doing that and moving into a new place. I mean, that's just a, such a cheap way and easy way to get into properties. It's, it's pretty spectacular. I mean, it's probably the best way to get yeah. into, get started. 
That's huge. And you also mentioned you got out of bad debt. That's a key too. I mean, you know, a lot of our listeners are attorneys and they're in a lot of bad debt too, because they keep buying, you know, the new five series or the next big house and they've got all these big bills and it's, we call it the golden handcuffs. I mean, you just, you know, you get strapped to your job because you keep buying more and more of these material things and you have to have the newest of everything. And then eventually it's like, well, I can't even step away from my job, even though I make a ton of money because I'm spending a ton of money. Yeah. I call it broken another level. You know, um, and I've met people in my in my paths of life that, you know, they're not like their, you know, expense nut to make is 30 grand a month, you know, um, and that that's with house mortgage payment. And, you know, th- this kid that they have is taking horseback riding lessons at 2000 <laughs> a month. And they're they got this kid in private school um, yeah. and the father's taking pilots lessons. I get it. That's all great. God bless you for, you know, living life big and everything like that. And it's not that you shouldn't be spending 30 K a month, but you also got to watch Like, are, are you saving how much, how much of your income is passive mm-hmm. that's supplementing? I mean, what, what if you could invest some money and your kid gets the horseback riding lessons on passive income? That's a conversation, right? Exactly. Yeah. It's yeah. backwards, right? They need to do the passive investing first and then use that income to do the, to spend that yeah. $30,000 a month on the horseback riding yeah. and all that kind of stuff. You just got to get it in the series. right order. Yeah. Right. <laughs> Lease that five series and go and go take the, you know, 50 grand that you're going to lay down to, to buy it or hundred grand you're going to buy it with or whatever. Um, and, uh, and, and take that, invest it, have that produce cash flow, and that cash flow may cover the lease payment on the five series. Exactly. You know, um, you got to start thinking, I got that from playing from playing cash flow, right? Mm-hmm. Um, about because when you play cash flow, it talks about your income, your expenses, and then your assets and your liabilities. And I started doing the math on what if I pay off this car note, you know, and that, well, that's going to return me 18%. You do the math, you know, like, okay, if I write a check in, in the board game for 30 grand to pay off my car note, um, it's going to produce an 18% cash on cash return. Interesting, you know. Uh, yeah. Well, I guess it'd be hard to find a rental that would produce that. So well, I think I'll just start paying off bad debt. Um, whatever we start thinking about everything you do as an ROI, um, there is a lot of power in that and paying down debt. There's an ROI to that too, you know? So yeah. it's not just the interest rate on the debt. It's making that monthly payment go away, you know? Um, right. and if you can start dropping monthly payments off of your balance sheet, you know, that's all cash that's residual back in your pocket. The eight, the $800 a month you were paying on the five series is now gone. If you, if you pay it off or if you invest in a property to pay the pay that, that pays you 800 bucks a month. Yeah, exactly. You know, either way. Exactly. Um, I guess we can kind of just roll back into that. So like, let's compare and contrast sure. active investing versus passive investing. I mean, a lot of, a lot of our listeners are kind of on the fence. They're like, Oh, I want to invest in real estate. You know, I don't know if I want to watch HGTV and follow the footsteps of the house flipping, or I've heard about passive investing in the syndications, you know, where do they start? Like, what do they start thinking about to decide how to get started? Stop watching HGTV, start there, <laughs> you know, cause that's all that that's fantasy land, right? Like none of that, none of those shows are actually real, right? That, those are all made up numbers. And, and, uh, and I know several people, friends of mine in the real estate world that have been on those shows and those producers are regularly changing production numbers and changing profits and stuff like that. Um, those, and, and a lot of people that are regular stars on those shows are just actors, right? That, that are just putting falsified numbers out there and what they're not lying. They're just like, this is entertainment, right? Don't yeah. like it, it's not re- like look on YouTube if you want to watch real stuff about about uh, active real estate stuff. Um, going back to passive and active, um, 
there are a lot of folks out there that will run the numbers and say, hey, Matt, or hey, Seth, I want to invest in your deal, um, but I see that the deal is going to make 18% and you're only paying me 14. So I'm just going to go and do it myself and make the full 18. You know, and, and they're, they're devaluing the, the operation side of the business. And unless, if you want to keep your law practice or your dental practice or your chiropractic practice or your whatever, your day-to-day your -day gig, if you love what you do for a living, you should keep doing that. Because I can tell you, you're probably going to hate real estate investing. If you love what, if you love what you do over here, <laughs> you know, real estate investing can kick your teeth in really fast, you know? Um, and I know many people that tried to keep doing what they loved in the left hand and tried to real estate invest in the right hand. It doesn't work. You know, real estate investing can be time demanding until you build up a big enough portfolio that it can, you can automate it even. And people are like, Oh, I'll just hire a property manager. BS. No, that you can, but you're still going to manage them and they will not care about that property as much as you do. And there's nobody I know of that is zero active in the real estate business with, by just hiring a property manager, you know, the only way to go zero active, not even zero, like five, 10% active is to invest in a truly passive asset, a REIT, a syndication, um, you know, and not even a turnkey. Turnkey doesn't count. Nope, you still got a property manager. You still got to talk to them, you know, everything like that. There, there, is, there is time you will have to put in. And if you're not willing to invest with someone that's willing to put their time in, hear me, you will have to put time in, right? And those that are telling you that you will not have to put any time in into your investment if you're not investing passively through someone else putting their time in for you. They're, they're, it's just not, I, it's, I've just never seen it. You know, I've, 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 I've bought properties off of many people that thought that there would be zero time involved uh, that, that ended up, you know, realizing that this thing is taking away more, more of their time than they wanted it to. Um, but I've never seen anybody that's a full-time lawyer or a full-time anything and, has active investments with, without a passive up, without an active operator stepping in for them. Right. So, yeah. I mean, a lot of it just comes down to how much time do you have and how much do you actually want to do? I mean, you might think you want to do it and then you get into it and you're like, Oh, like you said, Oh, maybe I want to do, I want to practice law. I want to be a doctor or a dentist. This is not really for me. I want to do my love. Yeah. I want to, I want to, I want to work into my passion, you know, whatever yeah. that is. And, and there's something to life about doing what you love or doing what you feel obligated to do or not for nothing as a doctor, you know, doing what you went to school for so long to do, um, what you made your life commitments to do. Like why would a doctor that went to school for like 10 extra years after college to be a dentist or a, or a, a, a you know, oral surgeon or whatever that makes good money? Why would they step away from that so that they could deal with the clogged toilet right? right? or deal with a tenant that doesn't pay the rent or to browbeat their property manager to get the unit leased in time, you know, uh, or, or to find out why the tenant just wrecked their unit and cost them four grand in reno cost. The property manager is not going to answer all that for you. You still have to talk to them and have those conversations. And those conversations, a lot of time happen Monday through, Monday through Friday, nine to five, you yeah. know? Um, yeah. Yeah. And a lot so. of the issues though is, you know, a lot of these folks aren't necessarily happy in their jobs. So they're kind of on the fence. They're like, well, what do I do? I don't love what I do. I don't hate it. But I think if you're in one of these high paying W2s, the best way to look at it is, you know, start buying back your time piece by piece, right? Until mm -hmm. you're, you know, it takes a little bit of time, but eventually you're going to be able to buy back big chunks of your time and you can start practicing when you want to and not because you have to. 
Um, yep. And I think that's a key because if you've already gotten yourself into these awesome W2 positions and you're making a lot of money, it doesn't make sense to just dive into something that's unknown get for that. you. Real estate investing is not a solution for those that hate their job. If you hate your job, just go get a new job, right? Because um, real estate investing in the beginning is a job, right? There, there is nobody that in the first year of real estate investing is going to end up sipping my ties and hiking the Himalayas, right? It doesn't work like that in the beginning. It does eventually. You get more and more ownership of your time after you hustle, but hustle comes first, right? And so if you like the real estate investing business, if you researched it and talked to people like Seth and I that are active in the business, um, and, and it makes sense to you that you are willing to grind and put in the 10,000 hours, right? Then yeah, go for it, do it. It's a beautiful, wonderful business that has very rewarding. Um, but don't discount the hustle. Don't see the people that are on the victory lap and think and think that that's what it looks like when you first got, when you first start, right? So, yeah. No. And if you're, and if you're eyeing, you know, big commercial deals or big apartment buildings or anything like that, I mean, a, a good way I always say is invest passively. And people told me that as well. I mean, invest passively to start, maybe find mm -hmm. someone that might give you a peek behind the curtain a little bit more than the next person and then yeah. see if you like it. And you may end up I just have, liking it passively. So you just keep investing passively because you're like, oh, these funny. returns are awesome. I have many people <laughs> that have invested with us. There's many people that have invested with us that either initially came in thinking that they would learn how to do what we do to do it themselves, which is totally fine. And I have people that started investing with us and have spurred off and done their own thing, which is totally fine too. Right. Um, but I have people, many more people that invest with us passively thinking that they would learn the game so they could do it themselves and then realize how good of a gig it is to passively invest yeah. and, and not have to put in the, the hours or not have to get the, not have to get the 10,000 hours to get to, you know, expert level to where they could spin off on their own. Right. Um, and so there's something to passive investing and leveraging other people's time. Yeah. You know? Yeah, for sure. So, so when these folks are looking for, you know, one of those deals, I, I obviously the sponsor to me is the most important thing and, and you yes. as a really good sponsor, you know, what are some of the things that a passive investor should look for in a sponsor? Uh, if a sponsor is telling you they've never made a mistake and that they are hundred uh, percent infallible and that they've always you know, nailed investor returns or returned above or something like that, they're selling you something. Um, this is a dynamic, dynamic business that has ups and downs. It has swings. Nobody had COVID in their underwriting, right? Um, yeah. And so things like COVID show up and not just COVID, things like COVID show up regularly for us, like real estate downturns, um, up markets, down markets. So those syndicators that are out there uh, you know, claiming 110% success all the time, I would stay away because they're likely not telling you about the time that they screwed it up, right? Ask me about the time that I screwed up and then I fixed it, right? That's a better conversation. Not like, hey, are you a schlep and do you continue to wrap your business around trees and stuff like that? That's not the conversation. It's when did you have an unexpected matter come up like COVID and what did you do about it, right? Um, that's where true syndicator integrity comes up. When did something unexpected happen and what was your reaction to it, right? I could bring you to tears with stories, right? Um, and also tell you what we did to make it right because we've always, we've always righted the ship. Took us more time, you know, um, and, uh, and, and projections were projections and we made investors what, they were, what, what we could, you know? Um, and that, that's a, real, a way more honest response. And I, I look for transparency. I would look for transparency and honesty. 
um, with syndicators versus Flash and Sizzle and, you know, um, a lot, and there's a lot of Flash and Sizzle in our business, right, Seth? Yeah, you know? yeah, for sure. Yeah, um, I, would, I would get away from that. But the, so I also would look for track record. Um, I would be prepared as an investor to do your own due diligence. So if a syndicator tells you I'm investing in Albuquerque, make sure Albuquerque is a market that makes sense to you, you know? Um, don't just trust the research of the syndicator, research the market too. Do your own, you know, let your fingers do the walking, do some Googling. You probably got a brother-in-law that used to live in Albuquerque or something like that, <laughs> call him, you know? Um, we, we all know people. So uh, redo your own homework on the markets. Do not blindly go in and trust all the data the syndicator gives you. As a passive investor, or as Robert Kiyosaki calls it in Cashflow Quadrant, the I Quadrant, right? It's a great book. You guys should all read that. Oh, yeah. um, as an I-quadrant investor, you really become a detective. You know, like your job is to do a ton of research um, and, and do all your due diligence and your work up front on the syndicator, but also on markets and on their investment strategy and make sure it all makes sense to you. Yeah. You know, you that's where your time diligence. goes in. I mean, yeah, ultimately it's, it's your investment. It's your money. You've got to do your due diligence on the sponsor, the market and the deal. Um, and you've got to educate yourself yeah, to how to it. do that. I mean, you don't have to go yeah. in depth for hours and hours and hours and hours on end, but eventually, you know, you'll get good at good at it, and you can make a pretty decent, uh, pretty decent decision on 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 what yeah. to do. Yeah, I quadrant investors still have to put some time in. It's yep. mostly upfront. It's mostly front end on the deal, and then follow up during the deal. Um, but the dollars per hour that an I quadrant investor makes is <laughs> cra- it's great. It's really good dollars per hour. You know, I, I'd, I'd be willing to challenge some of our doctors and lawyer friends that they're making that much per hour in their practices if you really extrapolate it out on the amount of money they can make and investing in a good deal for the amount of time that they put into it, the dollars per hour is off the charts yeah. on what you get. But you got to put the, just the time goes in first. That's it. You know? yeah. yeah, for sure. I mean, it's not completely 100% passive. There's definitely a little bit of work that goes up front, but after that's done, do it then, then it really yeah. is passive. Yeah. yeah, but then it gets passive once you, once you do the R&D, you know? Yep. Yeah. So for our listeners who haven't invested passively yet, and I know you do a great job at this, but you know, what can they expect after they wire that $50,000, $100,000 check? I mean, after they're holding their breath and they're like, oh, did I just, <laughs> you know, what, what can they expect after that? Cause that's kind of, if you, if you haven't done it, then it's kind of a nerve wracking yeah. uh, experience well, the first time. I can only speak to what we do as syndicators or what I would expect as an investor. Um, I would expect regular communications from the syndicator. So we send out monthly uh, emails. Um, we also have a private Facebook group that all of our investors get access to. Um, and we're constantly doing live sessions and videos. You know, we're, we're dorks with the online video stuff. So we do a lot of videos and Facebook lives and stuff like that from the sites. Um, I'm, I'm going to Diamond Ridge next week, by the way, um, oh, cool. and that. So we'll go in video sessions from there. So I would expect regular communications from the syndicator. Um, we send out quarterly financial statements. So I would say, you know, some syndicators send a monthly, some, some syndicators don't send them at all. You know, uh-oh, um, that's a flag, right? And that's a way to vet a syndicator is to, is to ask a syndicator to not just tell you what they send to their investors. Fine say, send me some communications you've sent to your investors in the past, right? Mm-hmm. And, you know, and, and read that to see if it's like a one bullet point email. That's a conversation, hmm, I don't know. But we send like an eight bullet point email with a financial statement attached with a video with some pictures that Justin shot when he was down there. He's our asset manager. So uh, then we do an annual update call too. Um, and so I would expect 
regular communications went in from the deal. And, um, and obviously leading up to closing, once you put your 50K in, you should be getting regular communications from the syndicator as, as, uh, as closing nears. And that's just, that's just good protocol. Yeah. Yeah. And one thing that you do that goes above and beyond that I've seen is you, you invite your investors to come see the property with you. If you're visiting, I don't, I'm the only one that I know that's done that. And I'm yeah. not touting my, tooting my horn. Um, some, <laughs> some syndicators aren't interested in the transparency that we do. Right. Some are like, are you out of your mind? Like you're going to, you let these people walk the ground. Like, you know, well, it's interesting. Cause it's like, oh, how do you, you there is a balance and we go to the sites, not just cause we want to go take selfies, just freaking work to do, man. I got to yeah. go put the property manager in a headlock and find out why that tenant <laughs> trashed their unit and, you know, meet with my vendors and stuff like that. So there's balance. And with a big enough team like we have, I can run investor relations and, you know, talk to investors and teach them and educate them while Justin and his construction team, you know, they run around and put the contractor in the headlock and stuff like that. Um, but we are open door. I, we're, when I go to North Carolina next week, two of our investors are meeting us there. Right. Um, And so it's it's a uh, it's something that we choose to do as a transparent move company. That's just that. that, But that is something that we uh, consciously thought about as a company. Yeah. Yeah. I I love that, man. Um, I want to give you an opportunity here to kind of explain to the audience some of the things you do. Uh, to make the tenant's life better. I know that, you know, on our deal mm-hmm. together, that really stood out to me, yep. all the things that you go above and beyond to really focus on the tenants and the people that call these places home. It's not just, a, you know, it's not just our business. A place that they it, stay. Yeah, this is somebody's home. home. Right. Yeah. Syndicate, some real estate investors lose sight of that. You start talking about tenants and statistics and, well, we've got to, you know, we've got some, th- these tenants aren't paying. We've got to move some people out. We've got to do this. We've got to shift it. Yeah, the funny, a, a nice way to say it is we have to shift the demographic at this property. You know, <laughs> that means throwing people out of their homes, man. That's what you're saying you're doing. Yeah. You know, we've gotten away from that as a company. Um, and that's well, the mantra for my company is to transform lives through real estate. That's what we do, right? Um, and that comes back to acknowledging these are people's homes. Now, that doesn't mean it's a charity. That doesn't mean that because the other lot that there's the tenants' lives that are getting transformation if they abide by our rules, and then there's the investors that are getting transformation too. They're meeting their financial wealth goals outside of Wall Street, while tenants are getting a home that has a you know community garden and has a playground. Um, and has better security systems and, and has pride of ownership from the owner. And if there's safety hazards, we take them away. If they, you know, if the, if the tenant, you know, is willing to pay their rent on time and maybe, maybe pay a modest rent increase, they get new appliances or something like that. Right. Um, on top of that, we are all about building community because as humans, we want community. Right. So, um, we integrated this program called apartment life. Um, that's like, I mean, to explain it simple, Seth, it's like it's like it's like having it's like living in a dorm again when you live in an apartment building and then there's an RA, right? Uh, and the RA is there that's like running community. Remember like the dorky RA you had in college oh, yeah. and stuff like that? They'd be like, "Hey guys, we're gonna go down and play some, you know, ping pong together in the rec room, right?" But they were like, what they did, even though they were kind of like all Ray Ron, like, "Why are you so excited, man?" You know, like, calm down. Um, but at the end of the day what they're really trying to do as simple as an RA was to create safety and facilitate community. Right. Um, that's what apartment life's all about. So yeah, there may be kids on sites. The apartment life person is going to go and bring in a jumpy house that the owner pays for. And so this is all like pre or post COVID. Right. You know? Um, and so, but I've seen apartment life folks have zoom parties 
for their tenants um, or have like a social distance coffee hour, whatever it is you want to do. Um, apartment life helps you create community mm -hmm. among your apartment complex and help folks get to know their neighbors and stuff. And from a selfish standpoint as an owner, what that does is, is if my tenant that lives in unit, you know, uh, 10A knows all her neighbors and is in like a Mahjong club with a woman that lives across the hall from her and, and her husband plays Texas Hold'em with all the guys that are, that live in the building next door, they're not moving, Right they're not moving. They're going to raise their kids in that community and their kids are going to trick or treat among the apartment complex. And if your tenants aren't trick or treating in your apartment complexes because your apartment isn't safe or because you haven't created a community and shame on you. If your tenants are not decorating their units for Halloween and going around <laughs> going trick or treating in your apartment complex, something's not right. You yeah. know, that they should be, they're, they're going to move eventually. As soon as they can afford to, they're going to move, right? Yeah. Speaking of moving, the other thing that we do is we use Ramsey Plus, um, which is, you know, Dave Ramsey, right? And I don't agree with a lot of his philosophies, philosophies as an investor, but as someone who's, you know, foundationally trying to make it to the next level of finances of life, um, a lot of Dave Ramsey's things make sense, you know, about like paying off your bad debt um, and just keeping control of your finances or whatever. And Ramsey Plus is a software that we give to our tenants to help them build their budgets. Now you can lead a horse to water, you can't make them drink. And I can't say, you know, show me your financial statement, Mr. Mr. and Mrs. Tenant, right? But we give them that tool that they can go and put their stuff in there and, and that, and um, it helps them achieve somewhat a sense of financial stability, which also selfishly, um, statistically it's been proven, aids them in being able to pay their rent on time um, because it's in their budget. They, they are thinking about, oh, maybe I shouldn't go and, you know, take my kids to the splash park and buy a brand new Denali pickup truck, you know, because now if I do that, Ramsey Plus says I can't pay my rent anymore. That's not good. You know, maybe I shouldn't go buy the Denali or go buy a used Denali, whatever. Yeah. Um, so uh, that we use uh, Apartment Life and Ramsey Plus, two different things we use, but it all goes back to transforming lives through real estate. Yeah, very cool. Very cool, man. And that Ramsey Plus program just reminds me of just you know, we don't have any financial education in, in school. I mean, we don't get it growing up. So anytime you can provide that to people, you know, it's a powerful tool for them to just see like, oh, yeah. this is actually how I should be spending my money. Maybe I should think about it this way. And it kind of changes your mindset and it probably changes their lives forever. I hope so. It's, it, it is, um, and people like look at me, I'm nuts when I say this. It is, it would make me over the moon goosebumps happy if one of my tenants through Ramsey, Pro, Ramsey Plus was able to move out of the apartment complex one day and buy a home mm. or was able to eventually squirrel up enough money and get some advances in their career that they could invest with us. Yeah. You know, yep. they're not, that's not another class of people. That's just people at a different, that, that a different financial level right now, but we want to help them work their way up to the point where they can achieve next level of financial freedom themselves too. You for know, sure. for sure. Yeah, for sure. All right, man, before we wrap it up with the freedom for one last golden nugget for our listeners. Uh, yeah, man, I think um, it, it's always a good time to look at alternative investing. Don't sit on your hands and wait for COVID to blow over. Don't sit on your hands and wait for the market to crash. Um, it's always a good time to consider well-vetted investments, um, you know, passive or active, whatever it is you choose to do. Um, the worst thing you can do is wait for things to change because my crystal ball is broken. I don't know if the market's going to drop off the map um, and, and nobody else does either. 
so I think that a lot of the last couple of years have gotten lost by people that are waiting for a crash or waiting for things to change, or now it's waiting for COVID to stop. Um, you're going to lose a lot of growth that you could have. Time waits for no man or woman. So, Great, great. All right, man, let's jump into the Freedom Four. Do it. It's time for the Freedom Four. What's the best thing you do to keep your mind and body healthy? I run on the, I exercise every day. Um, I've been doing that the last 40 days, Seth, so I can't say it's something I've been doing for years, but I started a <laughs> mantra uh, to, to run on a treadmill or do yoga or lift weights every day, one of the three. Um, and when I'm not doing yoga, because you can't really listen to podcasts when you're doing yoga and stuff like that, you might get in trouble in the yoga class for doing that. Um, but when I'm on the treadmill or lifting weights, I got into listening to Blinkist. You heard of that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Man, it's the best. So, um, it's, I'm on like a Blinkist kick right now. I'll probably get back into podcast soon. Um, in that, but right now I'm on a Blinkist tear and Blinkist summarizes books for you. So I'm able to feed my brain while I'm working my body. And so I used to listen to music and stuff like that, but now I just work on feeding my brain when I'm, uh, when working my body. And so Blinkist is like an 18 to 20 minute book summary and catch this. It's today's February 11th. I've listened to over 50 books since the beginning of the year. Isn't that nuts? <laughs> yeah. Right? Yeah. 50. Now it's a 20 minute summary, some kind of cheating, but I get the gist. You yeah. Know? Yeah. For I sure. get the gist of it. It's yeah. a good tool to like listen to. And then if you're really into it, then you get the whole audio book. And Blinkist will let you do that. Blinkist, yeah. you can, like, if you like the, like, just say, I listened to the one thing. Phenomenal book. I got the, I got the gist of it. And if I want to, um, you know, buy the one thing or listen to the audiobook or whatever, I can do that through blank instructions, go to audible or whatever. Um, so it's a good way to try it a book. Cause I've listened to a few stinkers on audio, like, Oh man, this book's yeah. And before but you don't really realize it stinks until you're like an hour or two in. Um, I'm like, all right. Yeah. Blinkist gives you an 18 minute summary. You go like, okay, that was awful. Let me just get on to the next one, you know? Yeah. Um, but I've just trudged my way through books I wasn't happy with and found ones that I was, and I can research them and put my notes in Evernote and stuff like that. So yep. Yep. Blinkist and exercise daily. Nice. Nice. In an alternative universe where you weren't involved in your current businesses, what would you be doing? I was almost a teacher. Um, I, I, and I, you can see that, right? Cause I love explaining stuff and I'm, I'm probably overly excited and everything like that. Um, <laughs> I'll, I'll, I'll make a list. I was almost a teacher. I was almost a jet pilot, right? Like, uh, I almost joined the air force Academy to fly jets. Um, you know, uh, just through the grace of God or whatever, I'd end up not doing that. Um, you know, sometimes I wonder where my life would have gone had I done it. Cause I loved, uh, you know, I was very passionate about that as a kid. Um, I also think that I would be, I think that I'd be a motivator somehow. Cause I just have it in my soul to, challenge myself and try and drag a lot of people alongside me as I'm doing it. You know? Yeah, I can see that. Um, for sure. <laughs> and yeah, I'd probably be climbing a mountain and everybody, come on, let's go. Let's climb this mountain. So whatever it is. So, yeah. Cool. I love that, man. So uh, where were you at five years ago and where do you see yourself five years from now? Um, five years ago, I was... Um, just getting into bigger multi, uh, we were about to, we were buying a 49 unit apartment complex. Um, we were getting into, into just into deeper systemization of apartment buildings, finding a true passion there, honing up how we could take our business to the next level. Um, 
And I think that where I'm at five years from now is I'd like to be one of the major motivators or thought leaders that's moving more and more people to build their wealth with alternatives outside of Wall Street. So I want to be a, a mouthpiece for, hey, Wall Street's great, but you should also diversify with this other stuff over here too. I know there's a lot of people doing that already, but I'd like to elevate myself to the point where I'm one of the viewed as one of the top people that are that are viewed as a resource, as a motivator to drive you know, a lot of America, not just the, the, not just the 1%, but to drive a lot of America away towards alternative assets. Yeah. Yeah. That's awesome. Well, you're well, well on your way, man. Your YouTube Thank channel you. is, is crazy. <laughs> Thank you, brother. I appreciate that. Thank yeah. you. Last question. How has passive income made your life better? Um, I'll get real, man. Um, I'll get real on you. Uh, my dad, uh, died in 2010. Um, and uh, it was, it was, you know, it was rough, but because of passive income, because of real estate, uh, I was allowed to spend a lot of my time with him and cause, and it was, you know, it, he had cancer and, and cancer is awful. You know, it just, it, you just watch people slowly degrade and, and just, you know, watch them try and fight it and it doesn't work out and just watch it just slowly take them over. Right. So it, it, it took him over a year. Um, to pass. And so when he got diagnosed with terminal cancer, so because of passive income, I was with him almost every weekend. Um, and on his final days, I was at his bedside for two weeks straight, right? No way I'm doing that working as an engineer or what, you know, I mean, I get maybe companies give you leave, um, but you'd get clipped on your income. But I was able to be in the hospital with my dad and then step out in the hallway and make a phone call. Um, to deal with whatever I had to deal with. I mean, I'm at that point in my life, I wasn't at the level to completely unplug. So I had to do what I had to do some doing still, but passive income gave me my time to do what really matters in life, you know? Um, and I'm eternally grateful that I got to be there with him in his final moments um, because of, uh, because of passive income. Yeah. That's beautiful, man. Thanks for, thanks for sharing thanks, that. Yeah. yeah. Uh, those are moments you're just, you're never going to get back. And if you're working in a full-time W2 where you have to be in the office all the time, you know, you might be able to step away for a few days, but certainly not in and out of there for a year. No, no, certainly not. And I'm, and I'm grateful that I was able to do that. So yeah. 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 All right, Matt, really appreciate you having them coming on today. Where can our listeners find out more about you? All, all that you need to know <laughs> is at derosagroup.com, brother. The, the, the link to buy my book, the link to my book, Raising Private Capital, that I wrote for Bigger Pockets, Amazon bestseller. Thank you very much. Um, uh, ra uh, raising Private Capital. Uh, you can also um, join our YouTube community through our website. You can check out my wife's podcast, The Real Estate Invest Her Show. Um, and if you want to learn more about passive investing with us, that's all there on the website too. Derosa, D E R O S A group.com. Awesome. Thanks again, Matt. You're welcome. Thank you, Seth, for having me. Wow. Matt always brings the energy and the enthusiasm. People like Matt are the people you really want to do business with, right? Genuine, transparent, smart, and fun. If his story doesn't move you to start looking for your own pathway to produce passive income through alternative investments, I'm really not sure what will, but I'm going to keep on keeping on and keep pushing. So to learn more, I'd love for you guys to go and join our Esquire Investor Club by going to PassiveIncomeAttorney.com and clicking on Join the Club. Also check out all the other great content and freebies on the site. Until next time, enjoy the journey. Thank you for listening to the Passive Income Attorney Podcast with Seth Bradley. 
Do you want more ideas on how to generate multiple streams of passive income? Then jump over to PassiveIncomeAttorney.com for show notes and resources. Then apply for the private Facebook community by searching for the Passive Income Attorney on Facebook. And we'll see you on the next episode.